the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I'm joined by Rick Gates. Rick Gates is the former deputy campaign manager for Donald Trump, former deputy chairman of the Inauguration Committee in 2017, and the author of this brand new book, Wicked Game. Let me get it in the camera. Wicked Game is a title taken from John Adams' description of presidential campaigning, an insider's story on how Trump won, Mueller failed, and America lost. Rick, good morning. Welcome back. It's good to see you again. Dude, thanks for having me again. Good to see you. Let me get your reaction first to the New York Times running with the New York Post story about the Biden emails and Director Ratcliffe's straightforward answer about whether or not they are legit. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think this is an interesting scenario. The one component of this, Hugh, putting kind of some of the factual evidence aside, the emails, the metadata, everything that we know, and now with Director Ratcliffe's statement this morning, the one thing that still has not happened is neither Joe Biden nor his son Hunter have come out and denied any of this uh, reporting. And so I think that is exactly why you saw over the weekend the Democrats scurrying to come up with at least an answer or a response, which has been this is Russia disinformation. And this morning, John Ratcliffe absolutely you know, shot that down. So now we're going to have to wait and see if the Bidens respond today or during the week. I guarantee you they'll respond by the time of the debate because President Trump will ask Joe Biden directly about it. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you next. You helped do uh, debate prep with the president in 2016. He is very vigorous when he's on stage. How often do you expect him to bring up these emails if they have not been debunked by Thursday night? Oh, he'll continually bring them up until Joe Biden answers a question and then he'll still bring them up because there are a number of still unanswered questions that relate to this. And yes, you can call it an October surprise. And and that's why, you know, political season is the way it is. But I think what the American people want to know is exactly what happened, because, look, these stories, these rumors of Hunter Biden Uh, in these business transactions have been around for a long time. And I just wrote an op-ed in September of uh, 2019. Joe Biden specifically came out and said, I have never had any discussion with my son about business affairs. And we now know that is just categorically false. So Joe Biden needs to be held accountable to what he said and what he now knows. Now, I want to turn to Wicked Game. I've been telling people this morning, uh, I got to get my camera right, Uh, Rick Gates, I found this book to be the most illuminating book about Donald Trump and 2016 and the special counsel of all of the books. And I have read it so thoroughly. It's so heavily annotated. I talked to you last week. This is part two and three. First question, polling. Uh, Trafalgar Polling Group is the only one that shows Donald Trump winning anywhere. What is your assessment of the polling in this cycle based upon what you learned in detailed and wicked game about the polling last cycle? 
Yeah, if there's anything we learned in 2016, it's that the polls are wrong. And I believe that today. And we could sit here and probably spend the show going through state by state numbers. I've taken a quick snapshot of three key states, Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania. And and, and Joe Biden is perfor- underperforming where Hillary Clinton was. And Donald Trump won all three. But the biggest piece of evidence, too, that actually came out over the weekend was Biden's campaign manager, uh, Jen uh, Dillon, who specifically said, look, the numbers are inflated. Joe Biden is not ahead by double digits. We've got to get the Democrat vote out there. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in the same situation as 2016. You can call it political spin, but I think she absolutely knows the undercurrent of what's happening. And they're not, the Democrats, they learned a lot from 2016. They're not going to allow themselves to look at some of these key battleground states and just kind of move forward. They are going to try to challenge in every single one of these because they know Donald Trump is a master coming back from being the underdog. Uh, Now, Rick Gates, in Wicked Game, you described sitting down with Brad Parscale on election night or election eve and going through the polls and believing based on your internal polling that it was winnable. I have to think the president going to Nevada yesterday tells us that the new Rick Gates and the new Brad Parscale are thinking Nevada is winnable. Otherwise, why would you wait? You go to California to raise money, but then you don't have to stop in Nevada and go to Arizona if you want where he is today. Why did he stop in Nevada? Yeah, there's no question that Nevada is up for grabs. Uh, there are some other states out there. I think the bellwethers, Hugh, to watch out there are Arizona and New Mexico. Uh, traditionally, you know, there's a lean Democrat over the last few elections. Uh, but, you know, Donald Trump won Arizona in 2016. I think that's going to be a very critical state to watch as election night unfolds. But there's no doubt that there are key states that the Trump campaign is focusing on right now. Remember, when you get to this point in time, we have t- about two weeks left. There are multiple paths to victory. And all of those relate to several key states across the country. And the president, like this president, like no other, will will campaign and do rallies until he uh, you know, gets back uh, to D.C. on election night. And, and it's going to be fascinating to watch which states, you know, in the aftermath of all this, have either flipped, you know, back to red or will flip blue. Okay. Now, Rick Gates, talk to me a little bit about something I knew nothing about, inaugural committees. I was just talking with the Fetching Mrs. Hewitt before the show today. We've never been to one inaugural event because they're crowded, they're hot, they're ridiculously oversubscribed, people are jammed in. But I never knew how much money were involved, and I didn't know the accounting that you did. There was a lot of misinformation that the Trump Inauguration Committee made money. You guys gave money away like the Olympic Committee of 1984. Would you explain to people what it is, how it operates, and how it's a sort of 90-day pop-up store? Yeah, absolutely. The, the inauguration is the peaceful transfer of power uh, for you know the presidents, uh, one after the other. And, and it is an amazing, and, 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 and honestly, Hugh, for me, it was an incredibly humbling time to watch this process unfold with a front seat and to be able to participate and help the president-elect at the time plan all of these different events. And the one thing I think that's most fascinating about it that people don't understand is that when it comes time to an inauguration, the Congress actually controls the ceremony. And when you have every congressional leader, every former cabinet, incoming cabinet member, former presidents, all up on the dais at the same time, all on that platform, it is just a powerful and moving moment to kind of see how this all unfolds. And yes, it is all done by kind of a nonprofit committee set up 
by every incoming president that has to raise the money for any type of events uh, they want to do. They have certain traditions over the years, but of course, Donald Trump came in and changed a lot of those traditions, uh, like he did with uh, a lot of things, you know, before and during his presidency. So it's, it's, I encourage everybody, that if they ever have an opportunity to go to inauguration, regardless of who the president is, to see it as a moving historical moment in our country and what our founding fathers set up, it is, it, it is absolutely worthwhile to do. You know, Brian Stelter was on the show last week talking about how his father took him to the inauguration before he died, and it was an amazing day. Uh, of course, you mentioned in Wicked Game that the crowd not turning out in the same numbers in person as President Obama had, but more virtually, got Sean Spicer. I mean, it really tripped them up. Had no one understood that they were never going to have the same size crowd in person as President Obama because the District of Columbia is heart of Obama area. Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. are Obama areas. They were never going to have the same number of people. That's exactly right. And then, look, the hard thing is you're dealing with a lot of elements out of your control. So that day, the weather was a little drizzly at the beginning. It was a little chilly. You know, look, the security surrounding these types of events, I can't even begin to describe the layer upon layer and the time it takes people to get in to D.C., to get into that mall where they're able to watch. So it is an incredibly kind of difficult exercise to get in. And yes, you know, any given day, any given inaugural day, you wake up and you don't know what the weather's going to do. You don't know how the, env- the environment is going to treat you. So there are all kinds of things that factor into this. But at the, at the end of it, you know, we did have the most people view President Trump's inaugural in, in the history of all the inaugurations. Now, I think people need to go and read Wicked Game if they're going to be involved in transition or inauguration for either President Trump or Vice President Biden. And they've already stood up a transition team for Biden, I assume. And I assume there's a second term team working for President Trump. And there's an inaugural committee for both of them, right? Sort of a skeleton one for both of them. Yeah, the, the inaugural committee doesn't really kick up until after the election, and that's why it happened so quickly. But there are already plans underway, uh, and, and whoever wins, there will be a, a chairman identified to run that element. Those are the two big pieces, are the transition and the inauguration, and that's kind of how it's split. Now, with an incumbent president, it's a little different. Uh, president Trump has a lot more resources available to him this time around, so it might be a little easier. Now, I want to turn to the special counsel, and here is where special counsel Robert Mueller Your book stands alone uh, because you were the target. You ended up pleading guilty to two counts. And one of those counts I am now persuaded after reading uh, Wicked Game is wholly bereft of substance. You corrected the record in the course. I didn't know any of this, Rick, until I read Wicked Game. All I know are headlines. You know, I you're before I read Wicked Game, you're Manafort's deputy. You probably hid money overseas. That's what I thought. Now I know it's completely wrong. But I have never heard, I've never heard, and I've done, I can count on one hand the number of criminal proceedings I've represented people in. I've never heard of a defendant who fixed a minor detail in their testimony being threatened with perjury under 18 U.S.C. 1001. I personally won't allow my clients to ever talk to the government, ever, because of 18 U.S.C. 1001, the False Statements Act. But I've never heard of it being used this way. Never. Yeah, Hugh, look, it was a tactic used... Uh, against all of the uh, witnesses in it. And if you look at what I record, you don't really know uh, when you're going through it. But when you have time on the on the other side to look back, you know, every single witness was charged with perjury. And there was a reason for that. And the reason is that, that once, once we were all able to talk, 
most people would be able to say, oh, these are discredible individuals, you know, because they lied to the government. The problem, Hugh, is that there are two systems of justice, right? There's, there's the system for the people on the inside, which are protected, like James Comey, Andrew McCabe, John Brennan, and others. And then you look at what same system of justice. And, and, and look, I put in the book that no one is above the law, and I absolutely agree with that principle. But the problem is everybody must be treated equally under the law. Rick, I want to talk about Andrew Weissman. Uh, a lot of people see him on MSNBC now. I've never met him. I don't know him. Uh, the picture that emerges of Andrew Weissman is uh, infamous. It's uh, very, very malicious. He does not seem to have much of what I would look for in a prosecutor, which is balance. And he seems to have been running the special prosecutor's office. Why did Rod Rosenstein pick him? Yeah, look, Hugh, this is uh, some of the the interesting information, and I think it's going to hopefully come out over time. As we now know, there's there's a lot more truth and evidence that's come out over the last uh, today than there has been the last three years. But from my perspective, one of the most revelatory things I learned through this process is that, you know, Bob Mueller was literally non-existent, uh, both uh, physically and, and, and literally. And uh, there was no time that he sat in any of my interviews. Uh, there was no time that uh, he had asked any of our uh, you know, people questions, uh, nothing at all. And from my perspective and in my observations, uh, Andrew Weissman was uh, pushing through a lot of the uh, tactics used. Uh, I am convinced that he was un- that Bob Mueller was unaware of some of the things that Andrew Weissman was doing within our specific uh, part of the investigation. Uh, you know, and look, Rod Rosenstein and Andrew Weissman have a longstanding relationship. And that is one of the things that I hope that comes out over time is how Andrew Weissman, who was not appointed to the special counsel's team until May of 2017, had already begun starting different parts of the Mueller investigation itself using his position within the DOJ and his relationship with Rod Rosenstein. So I think you're going to see more information come out about how the entire Mueller probe uh, was constructed. And if it falls in line with a lot of the other information that's come out so far, it's not going to be good. The American people are going to be very upset that this is how people in our justice system work. Now, you do not hide what you pled guilty to, and you do not hide Paul Manafort's uh, crimes. And he did evade taxes. You do, however, suggest that they ramped up every technique and every penalty in order to leverage you, Manafort, anyone else into saying something about the president in Russia. And at the end of the day, there was nothing. Do you think the American people understand that, Rick Gates? You know, I think they do now. At the time that we were going through this issue in 2017, this is important. The narrative was so one-sided. We didn't have the opportunity to defend ourselves. We were under gag order. Uh, we had no ability to correct the false narrative. And it, it's, a, it's an interesting comparison and parallel to what's going on right now with the Bidens, uh, Hugh. If I had had the same opportunities, the same treatment afforded me that the Bidens have right now, I think it would be a much different story. A lot of the information that came out during the Mueller probe, like the Steele dossier, uh, unverified documents, rumors, you know, that that Congressman Schiff and, and Senator Warner, you know, were circulating out into the public domain. All of that had a negative impact and continued to give rise that the president might somehow be involved or tied to Russia or Russian assets. And as we now know, it's absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. We knew it in 2016. Hopefully the American people now know it based on everything that's uh, come to light. Uh, Rick, last question. I got to tell you the thing that struck me in Wicked Game. 
Apparently, a lot of people don't know the difference between Rick Davis and Rick Gates. You know, when you go into surgery nowadays, they double mark your hand or your arm to make sure they're doing the right side of your body, your ear, your eye. They're making sure they're doing the right eye or the right if you're getting uh, a cataract taken out, anything like that. But you kept getting confused with Rick Davis, who was John McCain's campaign manager. And when it comes to Ukrainian and Russian oligarchs, they're all the same in the public's mind, right? Nobody really gets this right. That's exactly right. And I think that, you know, again, the fact that Ukraine is such a big piece of what is happening in our political environment today, I think it would, you know, be a great opportunity for everybody to understand how foreign governments work, how they can interfere in our elections, what else they can do. Uh, with respect to Rick Davis, yeah, it was pretty funny. You know, there are moments in, in, in the Mueller investigation uh, where I had started interning, you know, for, for Paul at the age of eight years old. Uh, you know, this is a great example of how fast the narrative was moving and how the reporters were not fact-checking or actually doing their due diligence and research. And when we look back, it's a very hurtful narrative, like for me and my family, when all this false information had come out about us personally, about us financially, and, and you didn't have the opportunity to correct it. And so that's part of the reason I did write the book, is to make sure that the facts are out there. And whether you, you, know, you want to support me or not support me, it doesn't matter from my perspective. I just wanted the information out there so that everybody could judge it for themselves. I also think it's going to be useful for anyone facing a prosecution. I mean, you really do lay out the stress, the length of time, how to deal with your family, the probe's intensity, where they go everywhere. Uh, I don't know if you intended to do a service for everyone ever under investigation, but you have. Well, you know, Hugh, I hope nobody ever has to go through what we went through. And I mean that sincerely. It, it should happen to no president, no American, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. This is why we have to really look at the justice system and really reform some of the activity and the involvement within it, particularly very aggressive prosecutors and the powers that they have with zero accountability. And Rick I hope the American people get to see this side of it because it's very, very uh, a sad commentary on the way that our society has developed, particularly from a legal point of view. Wicked Game is a must-read. Wicked Game is available at Amazon.com. Go and get it. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.